0: So the subject for today is the kingdom of heaven. Uh And uh, so we'll start with an opening prayer. Um, Thank you, God, for letting us gather together to study your word. And we invite the Holy Spirit to come in our midst. And uh, we ask that you reveal to us any of the truths that we need to apply to our lives. And we ask this in your name. So, um... (coughs) In the overview um, section of our study, we had learned that Matthew's account of the gospel focuses on Jesus Christ, who ushers in the kingdom of heaven. And Matthew's account, as we know, has a Jewish perspective and a mindset, and is organized by themes. So I thought it would be good for us to discuss the Jewish view of the kingdom of heaven. Um, secondly, the time of the appearance of the kingdom of God and thirdly, the standards and blessings of life in the kingdom of heaven. So let's begin by looking at the Jewish view of the kingdom of heaven, or God. The kingdom of heaven is the same as the kingdom of God, but because of the Jewish um, prefer to use heaven because God's name was so holy that they um, often refer to it. And since his, as the author, he was appealing to the Jewish mind and their, their ears. Um, The Jewish people believed in three ages comprised of the current, the messianic, and the age to come. So the following table will describe some of the key elements for each age. Okay, so the elements, um, these aren't all the elements, but these are some of the key elements. Um, And then we have the current age, the messianic age, and then the age to come. So the king of the universe is god is the eternal king and that was includes the whole world and all the nations of men and his kingship over the world was established at creation of course he was there before creation but um and then god is the eternal king in all three ages in addition god was the earthly king as recorded in exodus nineteen five through 6 when God told Moses at Mount Sinai, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me, above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom, a priest, and a holy nation. And these are the words which you're to speak to the children of Israel. And so as a chosen people of God, they felt God's kingly power on the earth was exercised primarily over Israel. Uh, versus the Pagan nations. And um, you remember how God felt um, kind of hurt when they wanted an earthly king because he was the king. And when they wanted that earthly king and they wanted, you know, Saul and all of that. But um, so then if you look at the, um, the duration of the current age, if we're going down there, was unknown because the people yearned for the messianic age and the prophets continued to give hope about the future reign of an anointed king or a messiah from the line of David. The people who recognized God as king were considered righteous or God-fearing ones. And the Jewish view of all mankind as being created in the image of God, a non-Jew, could fulfill their spiritual purpose on earth and be in heaven without becoming Jewish. Because Judaism does not state, does state that a non-Jew can be in heaven, uh, but they are obligated to observe the seven laws given in Noah, uh, to Noah in Genesis 9. So the seven laws are as follows, not to commit idolatry, blasphemy, or murder, not to have forbidden sexual relations, commit theft, not to eat flesh cut from a living animal, or, and then the seventh was to establish courts of justice to punish violators. So they believed that the Noah commandments, which are the commandments given to Noah, apply to all people as we were all descended from Noah and his family because of the flood. Jews desire non-Jews to be better people, and to connect to God and live spiritual lives. An example of this was Abraham's concern for the destruction of Sodom. Um, Also, the Book of Jonah, you have a Jewish prophet who is being sent to inspire repentance for the people of Nineveh. And we have on the Jewish High Holy Days, their prayers, they mention a desire for a universal connection to God, including both Jew and non-Jew. But When you look at that, the Muslims would not be considered righteous, as they don't accept the seven laws of Noah. And Christians, uh, we break the law in their eyes because we worship Jesus, which to the Jew is idolatry, since they don't believe Jesus is divine. So they believe we're worshiping a man. So. Then we go back to the table, and so now if we go to the Messianic, the Jews wanted their king to break into the earth and exercise power in a special way, and they wanted God to save his people from their enemies. They wanted God to bring back the exiles in a foreign foreign captivity to be returned to their own land, and then the nations of the world would pay honor to God that's what they were looking for the messiah to do they wanted the messiah to do all of that and um, as you know they didn't recognize our uh, jesus but and john was preparing the way for this the, the this messianic age to come right he said repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near he preached that we learned that last week we discussed how john was telling the people to repent confess their sins and get baptized And they said the fruit or the way one thinks and acts would prove there had been a change in their heart in alignment with the repentance. And which kind of brings us to the second point of this lecture, which is the timing of the appearance. Because Jesus also came and repented, said repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was saying the kingdom of heaven was here or was it still to come in the future? So the issue of timing has had three different uh, biblical scholars have three different interpretations on the timing of the kingdom. There are some who believe that the, one interpretation is that Jesus was saying that the visible act of God setting up the kingdom on earth would occur very soon. A second interpretation is that the presence and ministry of Jesus showed that the kingdom was now present on earth. Then the third is kind of a combo of the two. It says that Jesus spoke both of a present and a future coming of the kingdom. That God has acted by the fact that he brought Jesus into the earth, and he's the present gift of salvation to men, but the final consummation of the kingdom would occur in the future age to come. Um, Which is, I, I actually follow the third interpretation. But all three are out there. And that Jesus had told the crowds when he spoke in Luke, uh, records, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities because for this purpose I have been sent. This concept was a main theme in Jesus' teaching. When Jesus sent out the 12 apostles, he instructed them to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So entrance into the kingdom, though it was based on a personal response to Jesus through faith and discipleship and disciples accepted that jesus was the messiah promised in the old testament and by the grace of god all who believed in jesus entered the kingdom through the narrow gate leading to life of course following the will of god is accomplished only by the help of the holy spirit working in our lives now regarding the sermon on the Mount life in the kingdom of God is the pursuit of all faithful disciples it's an ethical behavior or lifestyle it's based on the love of God and the love of his son Jesus so please remember that this model behavior or standards as described by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount also called the Beatitudes are not a criteria for entry into the kingdom of God we all know that's Mm -hmm. through the grace of God right Mm -hmm. um but we as disciples do receive blessings when we follow, and we want to follow because of our love and desire to um, be Christ-like. So in the present, we can experience some of the kingdom blessings, and our new relationship with God as our Father can be enjoyed in the kingdom now. Um, and we often say we're, in, we're, we're not of this world, right? And he had told us that. However, the full measure of our blessings are ours to come in the future with the second coming. These blessings, as we know, include eternal life, no pain, no tears, no crying, um, no more death. So these blessings are not for the unsaved, but rather for all disciples now and in the anticipation of the second coming of our kingdom. So... um, Up here we have what's listed in the Beatitudes. Um, On the left there you have the standard, which was uh, mentioned by Jesus, Um, and then we have examples, and then the blessing that comes from it. So D.A. Carson is a Canadian Reformed evangelical theologian, and he's the emeritus professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois, and president and founder of the Gospel Coalition. Um, By the way, our study of Matthew is from the Gospel Coalition. And he gives us some great insights into Jesus' teachings about the eight blessings as found in Matthew 5-10. The humble disciple realizes their deep need for God. They have honestly looked at their sinful and rebellious ways and they want to submit themselves to God. A humble person puts away selfish ambition and will focus on the needs around them. The posture of humility before God carries the highest blessing, which is entrance into the kingdom of God. Humility is an ongoing posture, not a one-time act of submission of our will. And Paul would be a good example of someone with humility. And this passage deals with where he says, you know, I've done all these things. I'm I have all of this pedigree, but yet um, I, I call it all down for Jesus is much higher than I am. Mourning is the second attribute that was discussed is due to godly sorrow. Um, godly sorrow is when a disciple can mourn or grieve over their personal sin, or it could be a national sin, or it could be the sins in the world. An example would be the prophet Jeremiah. He was often referred to as the weeping prophet because he mourned over Judas sin and if you recall you know one of the things that Ezekiel um, prophesied was that we would be given a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone and so um, that he prophesied that you know God would be giving us a new heart and a new spirit within us so that we would have that um, soft heart and that's what happens when you get saved you start to feel compassion more. Um, Because as we know, sin hurts God and it hurts us. And sin is the opposite of the purity and holiness of God. And godly sorrow can lead to repentance and comfort through restoration, which brings God great joy. Uh, D.A. Carson's definition of meekness is a controlled desire to see the other's interests someone else's interests advance ahead of your own. And this is walking in love, often described in, you know, the famous uh, 1 Corinthians 13 chapter um, that you hear at weddings and about love suffers long and is kind. And we are called to show kindness to people around us, even if they aren't showing it to us. Instead of striving for material blessings, the meek disciple will be content with his or her spiritual blessings as a child of God and Moses would be an example of someone who uh, exhibited meekness. The pursuit of righteousness will yield fulfillment as recorded in Scripture and through guidance from the Holy Spirit. God has given us keys to righteousness. Abraham is an example of the pursuit of God's righteousness. Uh, we begin to know God as we study the historical lessons, the covenants, the teachings, the um promises and wisdom that are contained in the Bible, and God wants us to find and live out these truths in Scripture, then when we hear or see something contrary to the Word of God, we can make wise decisions instead of, being, instead of following a false or a foolish path. Praying the Lord's Prayer can help us live out the truth of God as it covers many circumstances that we encounter in our daily lives. And since we serve a living God, if we do encounter a unique Or specific situation we can always pray for strength and guidance about that specific one. A merciful person shows compassion and is willing to forgive or overlook an offense. A merciful person will offer help to people who are in pain or helpless. So it's a learning to learn uh, to recognize people's pain. Um, I know we've often heard you know hurting people hurt people you know out of their own hurt. And that to kind of step into it instead of turning the other way um, and being recognizing, being, and grateful for God's mercy that He's shown by forgiving our sins and helping us in our time of need. And we know that His mercies are new every morning, right? We don't wear them down like we do our friends sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, Mother Teresa, you know, we know she spent most of her life adult life anyway, showing mercy to the poor people in Calcutta, India, and in the slums there. So the pure in heart make every effort to do the right thing. They are firm and strong in their resolve to follow Jesus fully. They don't waver or get distracted, but rather they keep their focus on God at all times. This takes courage, takes discipline, and to guard our thoughts, desires, actions, and words. However, the blessings is greater, revelations from God, as well as a sweeter fellowship with him. So someone who um, has this example would be Isaiah. If you recall, he had that vision where the coal came down and they put it on his lips um, because he had such unclean lips. And then he felt cleansed um, from that. And then disciples are peacemakers when they share their faith to bring peace to a person who's in sin and alienated from God because that's not a peaceful life. Peacemaker seeks to lessen tensions and strife by building bridges and seeking solutions. They keep calm and listen to each viewpoint with fairness and respect. Probably the one that you all would remember is Martin Luther King, Jr. That was someone, he was an advocate for peaceful protest versus violence in the fight for the civil rights in our country. Peacemakers don't confuse issues with their ego or image. They don't um, retaliate because they uh, you know, have to look a certain way. So the goal of peacemaking is reconciliation, which reflects God's desire to reconcile mankind back to himself. It's at the heart of God. Persecution for righteousness' sake is the final beatitude or blessings. And the reward for over... For withstanding persecution in the kingdom of heaven, again, like all the prior Beatitudes, this is not a requirement to get to heaven, but rather demonstrates that God is the ultimate king in your life when trials and tribulations come into your life. Do we stand firm in our faith and trust in God? That's a, and if so, that reflects that God is uh, the Lord of our life in that area. The deacon Stephen was stoned, but he stood firm in his faith and trust in God. So you look at that list, and you go, wow. It can be really overwhelming, you know? We look, and we say, we look at that, we compare it to ourselves, and um, as we reflect on our discipleship walk, we say within a day, you know, we can be humble at 1 p.m. By 2, we're prideful, you know? Or you can be really meek on Thursday, and, you know, we're all here, and we're unique, and you know, And then by Friday, it's it's kind of watch out out for us on Friday. Thursday we're meeting. So so I know this can be overwhelming. I know when I looked at the list, I was like, oh my gosh. So we know that the only person who ever did that was Jesus, Mm who could live on all these. Um, But we know that incorporating these standards, it's like the fruit of the Spirit. It's a process. It's very slow. It's forward, backwards. Whether you use an inchworm or whatever analogy you use, you know it's it's a process. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't try <coughs> to work on these areas, and the Holy Spirit does help us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, because when we enter the kingdom, you know we become a representative or a witness of the kingdom, right? So we have a lot of our discussion today is about you know hypocrisy and and things like that, and how do we act certain ways. So um, but we have to remember that Jesus, when he came, he he said that I am not a new law, right? He came to fulfill the law. So it's not like these were new things that he was sharing with the people. Um, So he said, it did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And what had happened is some of the oral traditions and interpretations, people had kind of strayed from the scripture. Mm-hmm. In fact, in, in uh, Matthew 5:21, he begins a couple of those with, you have heard it said. Because people were going by hearsay instead of actual scripture. And we know that. We've got friends that they'll be like, well, doesn't the Bible say blah, blah, blah? And you're like, no, it says this, which is a slight little variation. So um, in a variety of areas, um, error had crept in or tolerances, or variances, I mean, there's various words you could use for that, but, so he kind of goes through this litany of areas where he's like, okay, you thought murder was bad, but really it's anger, you know, that's out of the control, and so he goes, he goes through a variety of things and trying to auto correct them, so to speak, you know, like your phone does. And so. He talked about, as we know, murder, and adultery, and divorce, and oaths, and the right to vengeance, and people-pleasing, whether it's through charitable deeds, or prayers, or fasting, the love of riches, false teachers, worrying and judging. I mean, he goes on and on about these areas where they had kind of gone astray. And he said, you know, really, what you need to focus on is the heavenly treasures, your loyalty to kingdom values, Seeking God and making Him your foundation, and um, so it's. Uh, I know we had a lot to cover in this in this mm-hmm. lesson, so. Um, but in closing, you know, I I discussed the the Jewish view of the kingdom because I thought, the the kingdom of heaven was so prevalent in this in this book. We needed to kind of, look at the timing and the appearance of the kingdom of God, the standards and the blessings of life in the kingdom. Um, I mean, even as recorded in his temptation of Jesus, you know, Satan kind of basically got in his face and said, again, the devil took him, Jesus, up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him everything. And he said, all these things I'll give to you. And um, if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus' death on the cross means that Satan's rule is being attacked. He's currently over this world, but his captives can be set free if we jump into another kingdom. So one day these forces of evil which control this world will finally yield the kingdom of God, right? When Jesus returns. So um, we'll close in prayer. God, we are so grateful that we can enter the kingdom of heaven Our belief and submission to your Son Jesus. As a disciple of Jesus, we continue to grow in the areas of humility and meekness and righteousness and mercy and purity and peacemaking and standing firm in persecution for righteousness' sake. May we be a good witness and an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. Now, bless us as we go to our small groups. Amen. Amen.